Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I noticed this morning that we kept saying that name which is above every name, which is the name of Yeshua. And it struck me, I wonder, and please think about this, <laughs> do we have any lovers of Yeshua among us here today? <laughs> I think Shelly Shelley won. <laughs> she had her hand up first, but what a glorious name. But, but all that that represents, I mean, it's a cognate of the word for Yeshua, which means salvation. What a beautiful name. And today, as is usually my course on a Shabbat morning when I'm sharing, I want to emphasize him today. Are, are there any lovers of Scripture here today? Yeah? If you have a Bible, why don't you just hold it up? Let's see. Wave that thing. All right, good. Good for you. And I'm also going to emphasize Scripture today. So I think with an emphasis on Yeshua and on Scripture that um, we'll be okay. What do you think? We'll be all right. Now, most believers realize how critical God's Word is to their lives. Most of us realize that. Have you noticed that, that His Word is critical for us as believers in Yeshua, uh, Messianic believers? Uh, his Word, it has a, a, an, it's irreplaceable in our lives. And if you're not faithfully reading, and let me take it a step farther, faithfully reading and studying Scripture, uh, I, I want to say this kindly, you are likely missing out on some blessings. How many agree with that? You're missing out on some blessings. I cannot tell you how many times over the years that when I've been going through something in my own life personally or situations that I was facing or our family was facing, that the Word of God just seemed to be right there. Sometimes even, and I don't want to sound trite here, but sometimes just even opening the Scripture, what would I find? A passage that as if it had wings and jumped out to me. And I know because some of you have uh, privileged me by sharing with me some of what's happened in your life that that's happened to you also, that the Word of God has just like jumped off the page to you. It was a rhema. It was a living word. It was a devar chai, a living word there to you. But not everyone in history has been that kind or that kindly dis disposed towards the Word of God. And there are many examples that I could mention, but here's one, and you've probably heard of this name. His name was Voltaire. How many have heard of Voltaire? There's a lot to say about him. He was a, what could be called a French philosopher, and he was a known critic of religion. <laughs> and 
what happened with him is very interesting. Historians tell us that he died in, in 1778. And if you think about 1778 and the history of America, really at that time it was the colonies. But he, he died, Voltaire died in 1778. But he brashly declared while he was alive, he declared that within 100 years, he said, Christianity would be swept away from existence and pass into a place of utter obscurity in history. <laughs> How many think he was wrong about that? <laughs> How wrong was he? He was very wrong, yes. And in one of the great ironies, and you can check this out, one of the great ironies that I've, I've found about him about 50 years after he passed away in 1778, the Geneva Bible Society used Voltaire's house <laughs> and his personal printing press <laughs> to produce stacks of Bibles. <laughs> How many of you find that ironic? I do. <laughs> And, you know, I wonder what Voltaire, if he had maybe read the Word of God and, and, and grasped it, I wonder what Voltaire would have thought about passages like Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. This one has been used since the New American Standard Version put it in the very front of its first edition when the New American Standard Bible came out, the English version. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers the flower fades, but say that next statement with me, please. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. Or what would Voltaire have thought about passages like Matatiahu, Matthew chapter 24, verse 35? Here Yeshua is speaking in this very important chapter, really an eschatological chapter, a chapter about the end times, as many uh, perceive it. And Yeshua says this, and it has been a favorite scripture of mine, one of many favorites. How many of you have many favorite scriptures? I do. <laughs> but Yeshua said this, Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away. Please say the next part with me together. But my words will by no means pass away. The word of God, which Voltaire uh, reportedly didn't value very much, others have valued over the centuries. That even includes you, perhaps, today. You valued the word of God. And at the very time that Voltaire was passing away in 1778, and as I mentioned prior, the American colonies were just starting to blossom, to come together, to come together as what we know now and as we live in now, the United States of America. But it started with the colonies, and in 1778, the colonies were struggling to find independence, to be free from what they considered at the time to be tyranny. And with newly won freedom, there also came a new responsibility, and that responsibility of that newly won freedom, that responsibility of a newly declared nation, a new independent nation, the colonies, beginning with the 13 first ones, they had to decide who was going to be president. Notice, not king, but president. 
And so they picked someone that we all know quite well, General George Washington. Now, Washington's view of life, and particularly of Scripture, was markedly different than Voltaire's, and they almost were contemporaries. So on one hand, you have Voltaire, who thinks that within 100 years, Christianity is going to be in the, the utterly gone. But Washington, and there are many, many quotes of his, Washington had a totally different view. This new president at that time said this, quote, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and Bible. Boy, we need to get that across now in Washington, D.C., don't we? <laughs> and in the, the several capitals of the, the states, the 50 states and the protectorates of the United States, it is impossible to rightly govern the, word, the world without God and Bible, Washington said. And it strikes me as strange then, when I think about it, and maybe it will you also, that there are those today, right now, there are those today who think they don't need God and they don't need his word. Especially they don't want either at the center of their lives. They want to be their own Lord and live by their own word, their own uh, precepts. But it was later, the, the first president of Washington said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and Bible. And then the 26th president, whom we know as Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> of teddy bear fame, <laughs> and he lived from 1858 to 1919, he also said some things about the Word of God. Let me share one of, what, one of the things he said about the Word of God. He said this, quote, a thorough understanding of the Bible is better than a college education, end quote. <laughs> I think old Teddy had it right, don't you? He really, he had a high view of Scripture. Do you have a high view of Scripture? Do you really let Scripture be part of your daily life? Do you really take to heart what the Word of God says? These presidents seem to. And not to be outdone, there was a more recent president. His name was President Ronald Reagan. He was the 40th president of the United States. And this is what he said, really in line with what George Washington said and, and Theodore Roosevelt said. President Reagan said this, quote, of the many influences that have shaped the United States into a distinctive nation and people, None may be said to be more fundamental and enduring than the Bible, end quote. He seemed to get it right. Voltaire said it would all be gone within 100 years, and this president, President Reagan, said, none, said to be nothing more, none may be said to be more fundamental and enduring than the, he didn't say the New York Times or the Oklahoman, or the internet. I know some people think that their phone is the most enduring thing in their life. It's not. It could be a bondage to your life. You could be in shackles to that electronic device. None may be said to be more fundamental enduring than the Bible. 
the Bible. And last month, and some of you may have actually seen this article, last month, and I have referenced it prior, the older version, but last month, the well-known classic American magazine, the Reader's Digest. How many of you have heard the, of the Reader's Digest? How many of you read the Reader's Digest? It used to be much more out there. But the Reader's Digest updated one of its more attention-getting and popular articles, and the title of the article is this, quote, 24 Surprising Facts You Never Knew About the Bible, end quote. And it was written by a Jewish author named Arya Zeitlin. And I want to share with you several of these facts. We're not going to go through 24 of them, but I want to share with you this morning several of these facts, exactly as it was presented in the Reader's Digest. For example, fact number one, this is fact number one from 24 Surprising Facts You Never Knew About the Bible. Fact number one in the Reader's Digest article is this, quote, one of the most well-known Bible facts is that it's the best-selling book of all time. It is estimated that 25 million copies are sold each year in the United States alone. And here's the fact. It continues, quote, But did you know the good book is also the most frequently shoplifted? Apparently, certain readers grab it before they reach the Ten Commandments, end quote. <laughs> well, just to kind of put that back out there again, the Ten Commandments, which have been banished from many schools and many publication plays, I'd like to read to you the Ten Commandments. It's a bit of a read, but please bear with me. I want to read to you the Ten Commandments. We are finishing the book of Exodus. We'll study that today in our Parashah study, uh, God willing. But I want to read you, just remind you of what the Aserta Dibrot, one of the ways it's termed in the Hebrew language, what the Ten Commandments say. I think Reader's Digest got it right. If people are shoplifting the Bible, they probably didn't get to that far or they don't really esteem what the Bible says about thou shalt not steal. <laughs> Here's what the Ten Commandments say, Exodus chapter 20, say for Shemot chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. And then just bear with me, let me read these to us to remind us these are foundational, foundational to society, foundational to life, and I hope they're foundational to each of our lives. Exodus 20 verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, verse 5, your God, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Has he been merciful to you? Hallelujah. It continues in verse 7, Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and howled in. How many of you are glad that we meet on Shabbat? I am. It's a little different than the way society trends, but I love the fact that we meet on Shabbat and we set this day apart as it commands us to. Verse 12 of Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. Can you murder in other ways than physically? Yes, you can destroy someone's reputation with your mouth, with your words, with your implications. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. That's the one they missed when they were shoplifting the Bible. (laughs) You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Be careful what you say about other people. And by the way, even if it's true, that doesn't mean you have the liberty to just spout it all out. He has shown the old man what is good, to walk humbly, do justice, to walk humbly with your God. He has told us that it's to extend compassion. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion more than all sacrifice. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is in your neighbors, please don't look at your neighbor and think, oh, I wish I had that. Now, how many of you think that this society would be much better if we took this more seriously, what God said? I do. Be much better. Well, that was fact number one. Let me read you another one of the 24. This is the Reader's Digest, uh, 24 surprising facts concerning the Bible. This one, it was number seven, and it's entitled, they entitled it, A Piece of American Religious History. That sounds interesting. How many are interested in I am? American history, religious history. So this is fact number seven. This is what Reader's Digest put out there. Quote, sold for more than $14 million at Sotheby's, in 2013, the Bay Psalm Book, Bay, B-A-Y, Psalm Book, is one of the most expensive books in the world, and it isn't even a complete Bible. It's a poetic English translation of Psalms by leading Puritan ministers from the Massachusetts Bay Colony, hence Bay Psalm Book, from the Massachusetts Bay Colony that was published in 1640. It is the first book ever printed in what is now the United States. The article continues, at 47 pages, each page is worth almost $300,000. As an artifact of colonial American religious history, it's practically priceless, end quote. Friends, the Bay Psalm book is an amazing book with a fascinating history. 
It was written, 30 of the elders of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, please listen, translated the Hebrew to 17th century English. So what does that tell us about the 30 elders of the Massachusetts Bay Colony? It told us that they were pretty interested in Hebrew language. Anyone interested in Hebrew language here today? I hope so, because we do a lot of it around here. And we have Hebrew classes that are expertly taught. Yes, and these 30 elders from the Massachusetts Bay Colony had enough Hebrew understanding to take the original Hebrew text of the Psalms and translate it to English. To me, that's an accomplishment. But that's not all. They didn't just translate the Psalms. They did the translation in a way that the Psalms were in English that was rhythmic and also singable. Singable because the Psalms, also called the Psalter, and we use the Psalms also often for, for singing here, don't we? We sing much from the Psalms. Well, they did that even back then in 1640 in Massachusetts. So they translated from the Hebrew. They translated into colloquial English of their day, which is 17th century English, 1600s. And then they, they did it so that it could be sung. It was singable and it was rhythmic. That's quite a task. Think about it. For example, Psalm 23. After the well-known statement that begins, Adonai roi, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack anything, is the meaning. Verses 2 through 4 of Psalm 23 read like this, and many of you know this psalm by heart. It reads, verse 2 of Psalm 23, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And it goes on from there. Many of you can recite the whole psalm. But this is how Psalm 23, verses 2 through 4, how these verses were translated translated into Old English, which included being written in Old English lettering. lettering. Have you ever seen that? Old English leathers, like the S's are this big, you know. And I can't tell the S from the F and all that stuff. And, and for example, other things they did, and you can find this online, by the way, a copy of it, see if you can read it. Don't do it now, please. <laughs> but one, the other thing they did is they spelled words that are common to us now that everyone in this room could spell, everyone hearing these words could spell. For example, the word me. How do we spell me? M-E. They didn't have spelling very good back then. Me back then was M-E-E. -E. <laughs> soul, how do we spell soul nowadays? S. O-U-L. Well, I guess they had this thing about the letter E because they attached an E to the end of soul. S-O-U-L-E. And this one makes me chuckle. <laughs> but the word he, H-E, was H-E-E. -E. And to me, that's a thing that you chuckle about. He, 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 you know, <laughs> chuckle. But that's how they did it. Now, I want to read to you, <laughs> I want to read to you how they put together in the, the Bay Psalm book, how they put together Tehillim, Psalm 23, verses 2 through 4. This is how it reads in their book. 
this one that each pays is worth approximately, just an approximation, $300,000. Here's how they translated it. Remember, their goal was to sing it, needed to be rhythmic, and needed to be true to some type of form of translation that was accurate. Psalm 23, he in the folds of tender grass doth cause me down to lie. <laughs> I practice this. You have no idea how many times I practice reading this. <laughs> Let me try that again. He in the folds of tender grass doth cause me down to lie, to waters calm me gently leads, restore my soul doth he. He doth in paths of righteousness for his name's sake lead me, yea, though in valley of death's shade, I walk none ill I'll fear. <laughs> How many of you like the way we have the translations now? <laughs> Well, this particular, as uh, Reader's Digest points us out, uh, and it's worth uh, checking out, but when this was published, this psalm book was published, the Bay Psalm book was published, there were only known to be 1,700 copies made at that time. And it's known now that there are only 11 that survived. The last one was sold actually to a Jewish man named Rubenstein, paid a lot of money to get this copy of this Psalms there. Well, not to bore you, but one more thing here. The Reader's Digest fact also connects with Psalm 23. We know how Psalm 23 goes. It talks about a sheep talks about a shepherd, as we just were reading. And there are other Bible passages that connect with sheep and shepherd. Let me remind you of several. For example, Yochanan, John chapter 10, verse 11 says, Yeshua speaking, and he declared of himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. As I mentioned before, how it changes if the adjective's different. I'm so thankful he is the good shepherd, good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Do you know that today, that the good shepherd, Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, gave his life for you and that you are called to be part of his flock? That's what's exciting to me about the members who came forward. They're recognizing they're part of this flock, and the elders and the leaders are recognized they're part of this flock. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Other passages that speak of shepherd and sheep, John 10, verse 14, again, Yeshua says what? He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and please take heart from this, and I know my sheep. You know what that means? There's many things that that means, but that means this. Every time you're going through something difficult in your life, he's with you. I know my sheep. He knows exactly what you're going through. You, can I say it this way? You're not alone in your trials and your testings. You are not alone. And he promised, as it's recorded in the book of Messianic Jews, that he would never, 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 the Greek sense is an ongoing sense, he would never, never, never leave his people. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, John 10, verse 14. And then there's this, and this is where the rubber meets the road for us, uh, proverbial speaking, and I am known by my own. Are you coming to know him more and more? 
as you press into his word, as you gather in fellowship, as you, as you submit yourself to the word of God and walk within the, the, the flock of the Lord. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. And also, also in Yochanan chapter 10, verse 16, again, the idea of sheep and a shepherd. And he says this, hallelujah for this one, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. And we can just see how Yeshua the Messiah is the shepherd of his people, not only all Jewish believers, but all believers throughout all the world. The other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. His sheep hear his voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And hallelujah, we have Yeshua the Messiah who is the shepherd of his sheep. Now, that brings me to another fact <laughs> from the Reader's Digest. Remember, there are 24, and as I say, we won't go through 24, but I want to share another one with you. They termed it in the article, Animals in the Bible. <laughs> and I may hear some flack about this a little later, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. I'm going to read exactly what they wrote. Here's how the article goes. Quote, so many biblical figures are shepherds that it isn't surprising to find that sheep are by far the most frequently mentioned critters in the scriptures. <laughs> and then there's a little aside in the article that says, goats are a distant second. <laughs> I hope we're all sheep here, by the way. <laughs> so, goats are a distant second. But there are about, Reader's Digest article continues, there are about 100 other animals ambling across the pages of Scripture, including some that have since disappeared from the Middle East, such as hippopotami. <laughs> and it gives the reference in Job to that. Crocodiles, it gives a reference in Ezekiel to crocodiles. Heart of beast, Deuteronomy chapter 14 is where that's mentioned. Cheetahs, not Cheetos. Cheetos are something different. Cheetahs, Habakkuk chapter 1. Bear, 2 Kings 2, etc. Lions are mentioned over 150 times in Scripture. Now, here's where I might get a little flack. <laughs> and I'm just reading what they wrote, all right? Here's how the article concludes. One animal that never makes an appearance in Scripture, according to the author of this article, Ariel Zeitlin, one animal that never makes an appearance, the domestic house cat, end quote. <laughs> well, let's go to the next one, shall we? <laughs> and lastly, fact number 24 of 24. They titled this Worst Biblical Names. Now, think about that for a moment. If someone asked you to write down on a piece of paper, what do you think is the worst biblical name, the worst name in the Bible? Well, this article makes its suggestion. Let me read what the Reader's Digest article says. Quote, while the Scriptures supply some excellent, excellent monikers or names, there are other choices that would cast a truly hideous shadow on a poor child's life if that child bore that name. The weirdest one is also the longest word in the Bible, 
The prophet Isaiah's son, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, that's one word, by the way, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, meaning plunder speedeth, spoil hasteth, the names Abednego, the name Nebuchadnezzar, and the name Nimrod, although Nimrod has come back to popularity in modern Israel, and the, word, the name Nimrod, they're also, according to this author, and again I'm quoting, they're also pretty bad names. But in its own way, the author continues, the fratricidal Cain, C-A-I-N, the fat, fratricidal Cain might just be the most awful name of all, end quote. So opines the author of this Reader's Digest article that Cain is the worst of all names. Now, friends, I really do appreciate the Reader's Digest, especially the family orientation of most of what's published in the Reader's Digest. And I have enjoyed over the decades reading Reader's Digest articles, and particularly this one, 24 Surprising Facts You Never Knew About the Bible. But I think, I think, concluding that Cain is the worst name in the Bible misses the mark. And let me explain what I'm thinking here, and you can consider it yourself. From where I stand here today, I'd suggest the worst name in the Bible is Satan. Anybody agree? The worst name in the Bible is Satan. In fact, we just were reading from Yohanan, John chapter 10. Well, let's look at verse 10 where Yeshua addresses this individual. John 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then Yeshua, in contradistinction of great contrast, speaking of himself, he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. His desire for you today is abundant life in him. And then also, Yeshua spoke also about Satan. In Yochanan, a couple chapters earlier, chapter 8, verse 44, in describing him, and I think this is what makes me, makes me pretty clear that Cain, that's a bad name, yes, but this other name is worse. John chapter 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth and then it says this, because there is no truth in him. By the way, how important it is for us as believers to walk in the truth? The more we walk in the truth, as God deems truth, the more separation we have from him who is the unnameable one. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, his own nature. For he is a liar, and check this out. He is a liar and what? The father of it. Friends, 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 make it your goal to walk in the truth of God's word. What it says about you, walk in that. What it says about your circumstance, live that, go for that. In Revelation 12, following up on what Yeshua said in John 10 and John 8, please listen to what Revelation 12, verse 9 says. There's much more in Revelation 12 you can look at, but let me just give you an idea of the flow of Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, 
that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. There's that worst name of all. Dragon, serpent, devil, Satan. And then it says this, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And later on it says, and he knows this time is short. Well, if I could just add one more in conclusion here. The article just has 24, but I want to offer you fact number 25, biblical fact number 25. If they had asked me, would you please, what do you think about this article? I would say, you, you're missing number 25. You're missing number 25. Here's fact number 25. Yeshua is the name above all names. That's fact number 25. And after talking about the deceiver in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the text in Revelation chapter 12 continues by putting that dragon, can I say it this way, putting that dragon in its place. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11, it says this, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brethren, notice, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Please note the next statement. And they overcame him. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And who's the Lamb? Yeshua the Messiah. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They died to themselves. Edward Perronet, some of you have heard of him. He was an 18th century associate at one time of the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley. They had a falling out later on, but he was an associate of them. I think he hit the proverbial bullseye when he composed the hymn that still resonates now, all the way now, even in Oklahoma City and wherever hymns are sung, perhaps this one resonates. You'll recognize the words. Here's what Edward Perronet wrote. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. And then it repeats, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's verse 1. Here's verse 2. O seed of Israel's chosen race, now ransomed from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. That him, H-I-M, is Yeshua the Messiah. That's our Messiah. There's no other name other than the name of Yeshua by which a person can be saved. No other name. No other name under heaven. Any name other than Yeshua by which, by calling upon the name of the Lord. And it's through the name of Yeshua our almighty Mashiach, Messiah, that the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the repentant of Israel and of the nations. 
and it's through the power of Yeshua's name that we are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Yeshua the Messiah. It's through the power of the name of Yeshua and all that that name represents, his shed blood, his sacrifice, and all, and as was mentioned when Josh did the liturgy today, he's coming back again, King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow that he is the Lord. And it's at the name of Yeshua, as I just said, that every knee shall bow, every tongue's going to confess that he is the Lord, and it's for his name's sake our sins are forgiven. And it's by the name of Yeshua that we are healed, delivered, and set free. Maybe you're here today and you are facing a difficult circumstance in your life. Don't run from Yeshua. Run to Yeshua. He is your Yeshua. He is your salvation. He's your deliverance in what you're facing. He will guide you and direct you because there's no other name more powerful than the name of Yeshua. He even said, if we ask anything in his name, according to his will, we shall have our request. So fact number 25, I think I can sum it up with the scripture. <laughs> Hebrews 13, verse 8. Yeshua is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now I leave you with these words. Again, the words of Yohanan that are recorded in the book of Revelation, but not in chapter 12. In the very beginning of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, and he writes this to the seven Messianic communities that were in Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. He writes this to them, Yochanan John, to the seven Kehilot, which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, the completeness of the deity of Messiah. And from Messiah Yeshua, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Are you loved today? You are. You are. He washed you with his own blood. And he has made us kings and kohanim, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And let's say, Amen. And then it continues. Behold, he is coming with clouds. He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Verse 8 in conclusion. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Friends, put your trust in him today. All who place their trust in him will never be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we glorify you this day. Thank you for sending your holy son, our Mashiach, Yeshua, who willingly gave his life for us. He said that no one took his life from him. 
he willingly gave it. Thank you for your love, O Lord, your love that was demonstrated not only in the tree, the execution stake, the cross, but your love and the promise that your love brings that we see in the empty tomb. And you said that if the same spirit that was in Messiah dwells in us, it's going to make alive our mortal bodies. Lord, thank you for the good work you're doing in every life here today. Lord, I lift up those that may be struggling here today with something on their heart and mind, worry, anxiety, some who've taken their eyes off you and they're looking at themselves or looking at others. Thou art compassionate, O God. Truly there is none like thee. Please intervene, O Lord. Please show yourself mighty. Please exalt your name in our midst. And we vow to give you all the glory. You alone are worthy, O Lord. I ask these things according to the merit, the righteousness, the name that is above every name, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.